Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. I pray that you are doing wonderful, and thank you so much for joining us back in here again today. This episode is actually just a supplement to our last episode all about sin. So there are just so many other things that we could say. So uh, we're actually going to cover the exact same topics about original sin, personal sin, um, choosing acts, um, mortal versus venial sins, uh, how other people's sins affect us, are, are we responsible for other people's sins, um, and the good news of Jesus, obviously, and all that. Um, so this is just a supplement. So this is not a uh, really a, a new episode or a new topic. So our last episode was a great episode, an overview on all of those topics of sin. Um, but this is just kind of further explaining or supplementing all those same topics. So um, it's just, again, just an expansion. So let's hop right into it. So we talked about original sin, which is a uh, a state, not an act. And it's a kind of a contraction as opposed to some something that we actually do, right? So it's something that we're, we're born into, this fallen, broken human flesh. So, um, and it's it's broken and oh, and it's our broken human flesh because it's apart from divine grace that we need in order to live a life even according to uh, God's plan, right? So that broken human flesh is inclined to disordered things or what is called concupiscence. And we are inclined to choose things that are not good for us, right? So um, on our last episode, I just illustrated using like uh, fast food. Um, talking about how we know that we should be eating greens and salads and stuff, but we just are in our laziness and in our weak wills, and that's what original sin is. Our weak wills, well, part of original sin is a weak will. We know we we still choose and just grab fast food instead. And when I say that, I'm not saying eating fast food is a sin, but it's just to illustrate concupiscence or our weakness to choose the better or the good, even when we know it. And even though eating fast food is not a sin, um, underlying that, that, that tendency of like knowing I need to eat good good food, but I still eat bad food, underlying that is sloth or laziness, which does lead to sin and oftentimes can be a sin itself. Because if we trace back all of our sins, we can look a lot like uh, King David, right? So he sinned with Bathsheba in adultery and ended up killing her husband as well. Because why? Because instead of fighting, he was supposed to be in a battle that day. He was just being lazy. <laughs> he wasn't doing the works that he was supposed to be doing. So, and oftentimes I think if we look back, a lot of times we can trace our sin back to laziness. Like either I just don't want to know, or this just seems easier, or uh, I want to make myself look good. Um, but uh, we typically can trace back our sins to laziness, believing in a lie, and lust or pride. So wanting things for ourselves, believing in a lie, or pride. Like we just know better. We don't We don't care what is the right way, or I just know what's best. I don't care what other people's in, input is, right? So we can typically trace it back to that. And we're going to talk more about that in, in, uh, later on in this episode. But um, another thing that we talked about is the heresy in the beginning, uh, in the first few centuries of the church was talking about how uh, human flesh is like bad. It's actually trapping the good soul that we have. So we need to get away from the flesh. And like, as we talked about in the last episode, that is a heresy. <clears throat> flesh, human flesh is supposed to be united to divine grace and that is when it becomes good right so we know that that humanity is good because and what god uh views as good um in his creation but also in the redemption is uh the second person of the blessed trinity took on human flesh to redeem it right so um we'll go through a few scripture verses but it is still but so you will see scripture talking about flesh in the way of 
human flesh, which is good, right? And we'll see examples of that, but also human flesh, um, meaning like our broken human flesh apart from divine grace. So it's all those emotions, those feelings, those wills, those those thing, those thoughts that lead us away from God because they're not in accord um, with his, the order that he has created, right? The, or they're disordered. So we'll see here some, a few examples of that. And just to start off really quick, in Romans 7, St. Paul says, who will deliver me from this wretched flesh, right? And uh, in that whole context, he's talking about um, his fallen human nature, right? He wants to be fully redeemed. And St. Paul is feeling the effects of concupiscence. <laughs> Still, he is struggling to choose the right, but he walks according to the spirit and puts on the mind of Christ. And again, uh, St. Paul elsewhere, though, talks about how that the body is the Lord's and we have to, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, which is to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice and to glorify God in our bodies. So here we see St. Paul contrasting the flesh, uh, broken human nature, and our broken wills and uh, strength and our desires and our emotions with the goodness of our human body um, to be serving the Lord. So, and we see Jesus uh, contrasting this um, when he speaks to his apostles and many examples throughout the Gospels. So, for example, when we talked about this in the last episode too, but Matthew 16, who do men say that I am? So Jesus is asking about his identity. And when Peter says uh, that you are the son of, you are, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus contrasts this with, uh, uh, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, or broken humanity has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. So he's saying grace has revealed this to you about the true identity of Jesus, who is both God and man. And we see in John 6, Jesus is teaching on the Eucharist. His, his flesh is what is going to give life to the world, he says, right? So my Father gives you the true bread of heaven, which is my flesh, which will give life to the world, which is his flesh. And he talks about how uh, eating and drinking his blood. So we see here Jesus talking about his flesh giving life to the world. But then in John six sixty three, when people are people just left Jesus, Jesus says it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no avail. So here in John six, it's a beautiful example and illustration that Jesus is talking about good flesh, which is uh, his humanity, which will be given for the life of the world um, to redeem all of hum- humanity. But he also the, the belief in the Eucharist. He's saying that that the flesh is of no avail, broken human weakness and nature, um, apart from divine grace, we cannot even believe that. But it's the spirit that gives life. So our broken human nature, assisted by divine grace, we can know and we believe that what Jesus says is true, that he will give his flesh as true food and his blood for true drink. Again, in Matthew 26, 41, this is when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he is um, and he's sweating blood before and entering into his passion before he's betrayed. And Peter, James, and John are with him, but they fall asleep. And he says, pray, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So here he's talking about, again, the flesh, the broken human nature apart from divine grace is weak, but the spirit is willing. So again, uh, he's calling our broken human nature to be um, assisted and to be filled with divine grace in order to be walking according according to the Spirit. So we see here that broken human flesh, broken human nature, apart from divine grace, leads to disordered desires, right? And a lot of times we talked about uh, we talked about heaven, but we never talked about the question of when. Like I thought about this too for a long time. So when we get to heaven will no longer have free will to choose the bad, right? So this is a, a thought, right? Of if we don't, 
our, if we're not capable of choosing against God, well, then our free will must be hindered. And that is not true. That's actually viewing free will as something that where we can choose the bad. So we're actually prioritizing the bad. So um, if we can't choose the bad, then we must not be free. But that's not true. Scripture calls sin true slavery, right? So sin is slavery. So including original sin, think about it this way. It's like a child who is born from a, from a mom who is using drugs. So it's much harder for that child to stay away from drugs and to be inclined to do that. Um, and it's so harder, it's, it's harder for that child to stay away. And we wouldn't say that he's, he's more free, he's less free because he struggles to choose against that, um, that thing that further breaks his humanity. So he's actually less free than a child who doesn't have that difficulty of being born into having uh, this addiction, right? So it's the child who is free from that feeling. He's actually more free. He's actually more inclined to do the right things. And this is the same way with original sin. We're born into it. And because we can, we actually have temptations and we can choose the bad, we're actually less free. We would be more free if we could only choose the good and we wouldn't have temptations. And that's what we have in heaven. We're actually more free because our wills are fully united to divine grace and we can will no longer have that temptation. So we only choose the good, but we're actually more free. Just like God, he's sinless, but he's perfectly free. He is the most free. So with Jesus' strength and with his grace, we actually say no to sin in this life, even during temptations. But in heaven, we'll actually be more free and more liberated because we continue to choose the good out of our free will. So in short, freedom to sin does not make us more free or more human. It makes us less free and less human because of our inclinations to sin. So like Mary, she was perfectly sinless. That doesn't make her uh, something other than human. No, it makes her the most human because sin hinders us from actually being made in the image likeness of God, which is our uh, humanity was created for and redeemed for to be conformed to the image of Christ, to be the most human, which is perfect freedom and perfect humanity. And when we talk about Jesus's redemption in the context of original sin, what's amazing about this is that when we talk about Jesus and he comes to redeem, I think a lot of people, a lot of are like, Jesus will get our lives back on track in a sense of a, like, it'll turn somebody bad to good, which is partially true, which is a good thing, right? So praise God that Jesus makes people good. But Jesus did not come simply to make bad people good. Jesus came to bring the dead to life. So when we talk about original sin, as in, uh, we read in our last episode in like Romans 5, this is the more, um, you know, the old Adam versus the new Adam contrast that the old Adam through his sin, many have, um, have died, right? So this is St. Paul talking about original sin. Right after that, St. Paul goes into Romans 6 talking about baptism. So he's contrasting in this old Adam, the life of death, into the new Adam and the life of grace. And how do we get into that? We are buried with Christ in baptism. We rise with him in baptism. So that restores our lost righteousness and it actually gives us the grace to overcome temptations and these disordered desires that is called a sin. So just like Jesus in John 9, when he um, he restores the man born blind, this is a sign actually talking about baptism. So what does he do? It's the man born blind, so he can never see. So he's born just like we are into original sin, but he is born blind to illustrate this. Like when we were born in original sin, we're blind to the to, to grace. We're, we're blind to uh, the truth. But 
baptism, just like he does with the man born blind here in John 9, 3, he makes spittle on his, and puts it on his eyes. And spittle is actually what was used to create the new, the old Adam at the beginning. So Jesus is recreating and he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam, right? So this is like baptism and this is what Jesus did. And baptism is, he restores us. He makes us reborn, right? To be able to live according to God as a child of God. And he says in John 9, 3, right before he heals the blind man, that it was not because of the sin of his parents or for him that he was, made, he was born blind, but it was for the glory of God, for the glory of God to be manifested. So it's the same thing as original sin. It's not the will of God. And it's not because we personally did anything, but we were born into it. But guess what? The new Adam, right? This is why in the Easter triumph song, we say, oh, happy fault of Adam, that that merited so great a redeemer. Because this uh, in the life of Jesus and the promises that he made is far greater than what we even had in our original justice of humanity and Adam and Eve at the creation before the fall. And so Jesus here is redeeming us and restoring us in baptism. Isn't this the most beautiful thing ever is that we were born into uh, brokenness, but Jesus coming with the with his divine grace that we get to enter into his death and resurrection here in this life to be a child of God in this life, to say no to sin in this life, he gives us the grace to do it. And so that's more on original sin. So when we talk about personal sin, we talked about mortal versus venial sin, right? And we spoke of that from First uh, John, and we gave examples of what that would be, verse mortal, verse venial, cutting off our life of grace from mortal sin, and venial sin is hindering our life of grace, but not cutting off the grace of God or his divine life in us. So, um, and it's all based off the gravity of the sin, really, because both sins, you know that it's wrong and you still do it, right? Um, and I guess one example is, how when we were talking about if you get frustrated with somebody on the phone and you kind of hang up a little quicker than you should have, that's probably a venial sin. But a mortal sin would be cussing them out, calling somebody, gossiping about them, or being violent, right? These are uh, these are ways that we um, do damage or kill this person's reputation. So this is what Jesus is talking about when he's lifting up that uh, that one of the Ten Commandments of you shall not kill. Well, he says to you, if you call your brother fool or, you know, all these things that are gossip in nature, that is what we're guilty for. So is to actually murder our, or kill a brother, kill a sister is by even gossiping. So he raises it to not just um, something that we do, but something that we think, something that we say. And this is why at the beginning of Mass and the penitential rite, when we say the confidior, we actually address those inner parts of our heart when we're asking God to forgive us of our sins. And we just and we also say that the, the sins that are in our thoughts and our words and what we have done and what we have failed to do. So we address all those interior parts because Christ has lifted the natural law to not just acting or failing to act, which is what we confess also, but also in the words that we've spoken and in the thoughts that we thought and the thoughts that we have, right? So that's why Christ He addresses our thoughts and he addresses our heart and the thoughts of our heart, right? So out of your heart becomes all these evil things. And he addresses our words. He says in Matthew 12, 36 and 37, that on the day of judgment, men will render account for every careless word that they utter. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. And similarly, the apostle James, just echoing the words of Christ in James 3, he talks about the, the our tongue and how it blesses and it also um, curses and how it should not be so. He says this in chapter 3, 
3, uh, starting in verse 4. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So the tongue is a little member and boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is an unrighteous, unrighteous world among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the cycle of nature and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue, a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with, we, with it we curse men who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brethren, this ought not to be so. So Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament warn against sins by either by our thoughts or by our words, as we just heard, or by what we've done, or even sins of omission, things that we failed to do. But even with that teaching in First John and uh, just by example, and we know by just kind of a little bit of common sense, but even then, James 2.10, does say, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. So it seems here, and a lot of people will say that, see here, even if it's a venial sin, we're guilty of damnation, but it's only because of the perfection of Jesus that we are saved. And that is true. That is true because we're only saved by Jesus, not by what we do. But when we, and we have to be united to Christ and sin detaches us from Christ, right? But also when you read the entire context of James 2, James is talking about showing no partiality against the law or to others, right? So he starts the whole thing about talking about showing no partiality to treating a rich man or a poor man when they enter into the congregation. Then he uh, quotes that you shall love your neighbor as yourself and says that you fulfill the royal law. And if you show partiality, you commit sin. Then he says that verse in uh, 2.10 where he says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. And then he goes on to talk about how he says, for he who said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. If you do not commit adultery, but do kill, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy, yet mercy triumphs over judgment. So the whole context is showing no partiality. And right after he says about uh, becoming guilty of all of it is specifically on mortal sins where somebody might say or believe that like one is uh, graver than the other when it comes to mortal sin. No, if it's a mortal sin, it cuts us off from the life of grace if you commit adultery, if you kill, and all those things, right? So it's about showing no partiality, particularly to mortal sins. So it does seem evident throughout all scripture, though, that various sins can result in a varying levels of judgment. So we talked about heaven. We talked about different levels of glory based on what we've done after being in the life of grace. And same thing with hell. We actually, people in hell actually experience greater condemnation for their actions. And we see this clearly in several places, such as Mark 12, 40, Jesus talks about, he tells the Pharisees that they will receive a greater condemnation for their actions. Um, and Matthew 10, 14 through 15, he tell, Jesus tells his disciples that anyone who will not listen to what they will be they what they say, they will be judged more harshly than Sodom and Gomorrah. So here in both of these examples, we see Jesus explicitly saying that somebody will receive a greater condemnation or a greater punishment. And the Apostle James in his letter, James 3.1, he talks about uh, warning teachers that they will be judged more severely than others. St. Peter, we see in his second letter, chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, he talks about how 
those who have come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, but then again defile themselves with the world, it would have been better for them if they had never known the way of righteousness. So, and then lastly, we see uh, Jesus in John nineteen eleven when he's before Pontius Pilate, that it's, uh, he actually says that Judas has a greater sin than Pilate. So here in all these, all these different uh, scripture verses, we see clearly in scripture that there are uh, levels of punishment due to the levels of sin or the level of the uh, action, right? So there's levels to hell, but there's also levels to sin in this life, right? Um, because only in this life can we choose to sin. So in uh, Augustine, he says this, In their wretchedness, the, the lot of some of the damned will be more tolerable than that of others. Just as there are levels of blessedness in heaven, there are degrees of wretchedness in hell. So St. Saint Augustine um, in the 4th and 5th century talking about the different levels of blessedness or the different levels of damnation in heaven and hell respectively, right? Um, and it's clearly taught in scripture and, uh, and we talked about it in our topics of heaven and hell in those episodes. So the new covenant in Jesus though, it was prophesied by Ezekiel and through other prophets that the new covenant would be a interior and inner transformation, right? Uh, uh, written on the heart or the, a new spirit within us. So this is the great um, news of the new covenant is not just to cover up bad actions. It's to renew us from the very thing that causes all these things, right? So like Jesus talks about how it is, it is from the heart that comes fornication, adultery, anger, lust, and all of these horrible things, all these bad things that are mortal sins and venial sins, all these disordered things come from a heart that is uh, apart from God's grace. So Jesus, he entered into that very that very thing that separated us from God, which is darkness and death. So Jesus didn't take it away, but he entered into it so that we would have power over it and have liberty and freedom by walking in the spirit that he has given us. So as Christians, we don't accept any sin. But a lot of times, sin in the eyes of the world are just bad things. But so the world wants to cover up by temporary fixes. So for example, we know that fornication, sex before marriage, or uh, contraception is bad. But really, they just see families who don't want children. But instead of saying, live it, live with chastity and actually use sex according to its purpose, they say, use contraception, use abortion. This is not taking away the, the very thing that is broken, right? We're, dis, we're misusing the very purpose where it's a disordered sex life that our culture has embraced. But, oh, you don't want a child? We'll just use contraception or abortion. No, this is furthering the problem. This is, this is the bad fruit that people are trying to cover up. And actually, even as I say that, can't we just see the disorder of that is people see children after having sexual intercourse with each other is a bad thing. This is how broken our culture and our world is, is that the very beautiful thing that God has given us, people are saying it's bad or it's evil because, oh, if you don't want it and that's not your your plan in life, well, then just use contraception to avoid it. And if that doesn't happen, get abortion and just get rid of it. But this is the way of the world. The way of Jesus is to uh, to be living by divine grace. And the very first thing is our heart that actually leads us to respect one another and to love one another purely and chastely so that we do not lust over each other and use things disorderly. And then when when things happen, that when it's that's nat- that's natural, right? When uh, sex for its very purpose is procreative and unitive, but we're using it to not even to be united to each other. And then we're trying to act like it doesn't procreate, but when it does procreate, we want to get rid of it. This is not the way of the Christian. That is the way of the world. 
Contraception was it was accepted by all non-Catholic Christians before the 1940s, but when the world began using it, guess what? All non-Catholic Christian churches fell away. They're looking more and more like the world. But this is why Jesus gave us the, be the beautiful, uh, never-failing, that death will not have any power over the true church of Jesus. And this is why he gave us the Catholic Church. So, and this is... Uh, again, the same thing with salvation. I know I talked about a, a lot about sex, contraception, and abortion, um, but this is the same thing with salvation and sin. Jesus doesn't come just to cover us from the bad things that we do. He came to give us an internal transformation. He came and actually entered into so that we would actually say no to all these things that are all these broken uh, things in the world to actually use our human nature um, in accord with right and uh, with nature, right? All natural things. So, and this gets us back into the topic of what we mean when we say uh, truth or using things for its natural ends, or we talked about law. Um, so, let's talk about that. So, we, when we talk about truth, well, the definition of truth is what is. So, we're just saying what is, what's reality, right? So, and, wh and what does that mean? It really means that everything has an ends or a purpose for it, right? So a chair, we call it a chair because it's built for and its end is for somebody to be sitting on it. An oven, it's made for and its purpose, its end is for baking or cooking, right? But when people use it outside of that context, it's actually super dangerous. Or taking example, actually human actions, uh, the very purpose and the end of eating is nutrition. When people use it for other means, such as um, either they gloat and actually the, 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 it becomes overbearing and it actually becomes harmful to their, to their health, they overeat. Or people who throw it back up, we actually say those, those are disorders. Why? Because it is uh, using eating and the against the means of what is it's the purpose or the end of its for its natural end the order is that is that it's nutrition so anytime that nutrition is not involved in it it is disordered think about uh speaking our speech the ends of our speech is truth so people get super upset when people use their speech to lie right and so this is the same thing with uh, our sexual actions. The sex, the natural ends, are union and procreation. So anytime that that is thwarted, whether it it is IVF, contraceptions, homosexual acts, those all those actions are disordered. So people get frustrated because the catechism talks about how homosexual desires are disordered. And so what people want to do is take disordered out of that paragraph. But really what should happen is we put disordered and all the other paragraphs about sin because it's all the same thing. It's all using the ends or purposes of something and not going with that ends or purpose. It's a disordered desire. It's a disordered action. So it's not just homosexual acts are disordered. Nope. Contraceptives are. IVF is. Lying is. And so we see clearly here that everything has a purpose and an end. And when we do not work with its purpose and end, and we try to thwart that or go around it, that's when everything becomes disordered and broken. And this is what Jesus came to restore. So this is why we see Jesus when he's asked, what should I do to have life? And he says, keep the commandments. Well, why, is, why does he say keep the commandments? I thought the old law was done away with. No, the 10 commandments are rooted in the natural law. Every single thing that we just said, Everything has a purpose and it ends and and it's, it has an order to it, right? So the Ten Commandments all have it. Uh, all have the nat it's rooted in the natural law. Do not kill. Why? Because killing is opposite to life. Do not tell a lie. Why? Because it's the opposite of truth. Do not 
um, you know, honor your father and your mother. Why? Because those are in the natural law and the natural order. They're the ones that gave birth to you and have a natural um, authority over you. So, right? So all these things are rooted in the natural law. Uh, do not commit adultery. Why? Because it's against the nature of marriage. It's against the nature of uh, what our bodies are meant for in the marital act. And it's only supposed to be in the marital act, not outside of it. Um, because we actually have a full commitment and we're actually uh, telling the truth of their bodies to be united and to procreate. So the Ten Commandments are rooted in the natural law. And this is why Jesus says, keep these commandments. And then in other places, he condemns the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes of adding things to the Mosaic law that actually hinders people's freedom, for one. But also, it's because Jesus fulfilled the the, the ritual laws of the law of Moses, such as um, circumcision and all the ritualistic ones. Jesus fulfills it and actually elevates it all. And we're, that's a whole other episode that we're going to talk about. But that's why the Mo, the law of Moses, such as do these things or you know don't do these things on the Sabbath, all those things are not against natural law. Those are things that are uh, were given for temporary purposes for the Israelite people until the full fulfillment of 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 the grace of Jesus. And so, um, in the new command, in the new covenant, natural law is actually lifted up, and that is what the Ten Commandments are rooted in. So, when we talk about Ten Commandments, no, it wasn't done away with; it was fulfilled for one in Jesus, but also it is uh, rooted in the natural law, and that's what we have to keep. And think about anywhere in the New Testament where whether Jesus or the apostles warn against like mortal sins. The list of mortal sins are all things that are against nature, immorality impurity, licentiousness, pride, envy, all those things are against uh, the natural law or the natural order or an ends and a purpose of to which things were ordered and created for, right? So when we talk about making decisions, we talked about the catechism making, decision, making decisions and we talked about considering the object and our intention. So the object, are we actually using something as its natural end? Are we using it for its right and ordered purpose? Uh, but also our intention. So it's not just using some things like, so for example, to tell the truth, but it's also our intentions. It's not so that, oh, look at me, I'm righteous. <laughs> no, because that is pride and that's sin. That's what, that is another root of all sin is pride. So we don't get puffed up, but we actually do it for the sake of other. So that's what true love is, is that we're doing it for the sake of other. So the definition, I think it's Pope John Paul II who gave love is to will the good of another for the sake of other. So not to will the good of the other to be like, look what I did for this person or um, look what, you know, they're a project essentially. No, it's for the sake of other. We wish ever, ever, other people's goods for the sake of them. So it's our intention, but it's also using everything according to its purpose and end. I don't know if I said that enough, <laughs> but think about when we talked about in the last episode, we talked about the devil and his temptations and what does Jesus call him? a murderer and a liar from the beginning because the truth is not in him. Why? Think about murder and a liar. That is contrary to the natural law, right? It's contrary to an ends and a purpose. So murderer because he's against life and he's a liar because against truth. So he actually confuses the ends and purposes of humans and human actions, right? So these are ideologies, right? And so St. Paul, I believe it's in Ephesians, he talks about how our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's with principalities and spiritualities and forces. So our flesh, our, our battle as Christians, it is not with uh, the, the human beings that we get into arguments with. No, like 
It is, we love them for the sake of them. We want them to know the truth for the sake of them. And our, it's not against flesh and blood, but we are judging ideologies and demonic ideologies and thought processes and lies that affect humanity, right? So this is what we judge and this is what our battle is against is those thoughts that are contrary to natural law, uh, such as the devil, murder and a liar. So anything that is uh, not the truth, not again, not to life, and not to the good of humanity, that's what we judge and that's what we bring uh, the good news of Jesus and the divine grace into. What is really amazing to me is before my conversion to Jesus, I could not for the life of me understand why abortion should be legal or uh, living together before marriage or using contraceptives or why any of those things are wrong. But it's all all based on just philosophy and logic and using a thing to its ends and its purpose. And it's, uh, and we could reason to that alone. And yet I still need a divine grace to even see just the natural purposes of things, right? So we actually need uh, supernatural grace in order to become natural. <laughs> um, so we need the grace of God um, and we need to, so like when we talk about, and praise God, if we are able to talk to politicians and to change their mind and say, hey, these are actually things contrary to science, contrary to logic, contrary to human good, if they can just get to that point, praise the Lord. But I really think in reality, it is proclaiming the gospel and people having an encounter with Jesus and people actually being filled with divine grace so that they can actually just see naturally, even having their natural eyes restored of just seeing things clearly even things that seem so blatantly obvious, such as abortion, um, people are calling that good. People need, we all need grace. We all need grace. And the reason that I'm even saying this is because of grace. So I'm not saying like, look what I found out or self-righteous. No, 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 no. Truth is the things that we receive. I, we are not the creators of that, right? So, uh, but we just serve truth. We serve goodness. We serve humanity. And we just proclaim the gospel and invite people into a beautiful relationship with Jesus. So uh, last thing I would just say about all these decision makings or, uh, you know, using things contrary to the law and the devil's temptations is um, at the root of all sin is pride and envy. And we talked about laziness and lust as well earlier before, but pride and envy are really the root of all sin. Because pride is just uh, our disposition to say, no, we know what's best uh, or we just know better than everybody else or we're not even willing to learn. It's our broken human nature from original sin that actually um, like says that, no, we know what's best, right? Uh, we can figure it out ourselves. Or um, envy. Envy is even worse than pride because it's not just about me, but it's also getting sad about other people's goods or... Re or uh, or rejoicing other people's bad or misfortunes and actually uh, saying like, oh, they don't deserve these good things. I want them for myself. So it's actually even more demonic because <laughs> that's what it is. But um, so pride and envy are the root of all these things. And the last thing we're going to end with is talking about uh, how we talked about last time. Other people's sins are the cause and effect of sin. Um, and then lastly, uh, just the good news of Jesus. But before we get into that, those last two sections really quick, and they'll be pretty, pretty quick as well. But let me just recap this whole section about choosing and uh, choosing the good and its ends and purposes and the, just being united to divine grace. Um, I'm going to read James 3.14 through, uh, through 4 through 8. This is what St. James says. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. 
This wisdom is not such as comes down from heaven, comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, without uncertainty or insincerity. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Who causes wars and what causes fight, fightings among you? Is it not your passions that are at war in your members? You desire and do not have, so you kill. And you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Unfaithful creatures, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is in vain that the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives us more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you men of double mind. I just love that uh, whole scripture verse because it really is a beautiful encapsulation of using things for an ends and its purpose and its truth and uh, against pride and envy and the devil and God's grace and humility and all the things uh, that we've really been talking about. So yeah, praise God. Let that uh, sink into our hearts. <laughs> So lastly, uh, talking about other people's sins or cause and effect, and we talked about in the last um, episode that we are not guilty of other people's sins, and scripture is clear on that, but there are just more things to consider. Um, I think a lot of times we think that accidents or mistakes are, are sins, but they are not sins. So for example, when we just commit a mistake, like we didn't mean to do anything, we didn't mean to break something, we didn't mean to, uh, you know, whatever it may be. We didn't intentionally do anything. It was just an accident or a mistake. Those are not sins because we didn't purposefully do something that was wrong and go against it any, and, and choose to do wrong anyways. Uh, and actually, for example, some people will say uh, Mary losing Mary and Joseph losing Jesus when he was 12 years old when they went to Jerusalem, that was a sin. No, that's an accident or a mistake. Those are not sins. So, Accidents or mistakes are not sins. And further, when we talk about the uh, about the effects of sin, because when people suffer, a lot of people want to say they either sinned or somebody else sinned. And that's not true. That was like really the whole purpose of the book of Job is that this righteous man who is actually righteous, God calls him righteous. And then Satan goes and takes everything away from him. And then the whole book is Job's friends telling him like, Job, just repent. You must have done something wrong. He's like, I didn't do anything. And God at the end says, like he didn't do anything like these friends of yours are foolish, but he didn't do anything. He was righteous. And, uh, and then he goes in like to explain the mystery of suffering, right? Because like, were you there when I created all this? Like there is a purpose for allowing things to happen, right? Because, and that beautiful example too, is Satan that took away all these things from Job, but God allowed it to happen to bring about a greater, greater good and a purpose and we see Jesus specifically talking about that and the man born blind again in John 9, 3 that we talked about earlier. In John 9, 2, it says that Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him. 
So again, we hear in the fullness of revelation in Jesus, we see here that people's suffering does not necessarily uh, entail any sin that caused that suffering. Um, But there is a sense in which we do have temporal effects from sins, even sins that were forgiven. So, so for example, using the pretty, a uh, pretty extreme example is uh, adultery. So, somebody who uh, falls into an adulterous relationship against their their wife, and they repent, which truly means not just saying sorry for it, but actually turning their ways around and never doing it again. If they repent and ask for forgiveness, God forgives them, and they are that eternal. Um, punishment due to that sin is forgiven and wiped away. But the temporal effects are still there, right? They're still going to have to deal with uh, either healing in that marriage, a brokenness in that marriage of, of like they might, there be temporal effects, right? To all people involved. Um, even though some the eternal uh, punishment due to that sin is wiped away, the temporal effects are still there in reality for a lo- everybody in that situation. Or think about the person who uh, struggled with drinking and smoking and all these things, and he repents and gives up alcohol and everything. There still might be some temporal effects from all that, right? Damage to the liver and all these things. Like all that uh, sin really does impact our minds, our bodies, our thoughts, our our entire humanity. But um, so there is a sense in which we are affected by sin, and also uh, people are affected by our sins when we choose to do wrong, right? And this is what we talked about in the last episode: is like even down to generations, people can be affected by sin. But people's, in the short of it, is that people are only guilty of their own sin. So we are not guilty of other people's sins, but sin does have a ripple effect on all of us, including um, the temporal uh, punishment due to that sin is still there as well. And lastly, when we talk about, um, you know, in Genesis, when uh, Cain and Abel, where is your brother? And they says, am I, my, am I my brother's keeper? As if like, I don't have no responsibility to my brother. No, we actually do. We are all the, uh, we are all made it in the image and likeness of God. So every single person we see, or if they're a Christian, the body of Christ, there's Jesus abiding in that person. We have a responsibility to correct people and to bring them out of any sin that they might be walking in, right? So we actually do. So when we talk about not being respons- not being guilty for other people's sins, some people are thinking like, well, then I just don't have any responsibility for other people's sins. No, we still do have because because our battle is to against that against the spiritualities and the darkness uh, of sin. But our the person that we're supposed to be loving is that person. So to bring them in, right? So. Jesus says in Matthew 18, he gives that whole example of if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault to him alone. If he doesn't listen to you, bring two or three witnesses. If he doesn't listen to to them, listen to the church. So he gives this hierarchy of how to deal with people sinning against each other, right? So, and at the end of the letter of James, James says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And Jude 22 and 23 says, Convince some who doubt. Save some by snatching them out of the fire. On some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. So scripture is clear that we do have responsibility to uh, bring people into the truth to one, to evangelize, but also to our brothers and sisters who may be walking away or, or in sin or doing things that are contrary to truth. Then we bring them in, 
loving. We speak the truth in love, St. Paul says, not doing out of self-righteousness, but an invitation to walk in true life, right? Because Jesus came to give life and life life abundantly. So when we are, uh, that's a work of mercy, is to correct correct sinners and to teach the the ignorant or the people who do not know. So we all have a responsibility, especially as Christians, to do this. So I'll end this episode with this. And we talked about last time about no matter what you've done, Christ precisely wants to enter into those wounds. What Jesus did on the cross is way more powerful than any sin you could ever commit. So the most beautiful word is repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. Change our minds. To This is a constant, continual uh, Christian way of thinking is to put on the mind of Christ and to not gratify the desires of the flesh, the broken human nature that we have, but to walk according to the Spirit, which is perfect love, perfect and true life that Christ came to give us. Christ does not want to just cover up all the bad stuff that you've done. No. He wants to enter fully into the wounds of your heart where that even originated from. He wants to go there with you in the deepest and darkest places to give you the fullness of healing. Praise you, Jesus, that there is no such thing as healing unless you're broken, right? He did not come call to call the righteous, but sinners. He did not come to call the people who are healthy, but people who are sick. And we are all sick in need of his mercy, to need of his grace, to need of his healing. So come to the divine doctor who loves you. The devil, he knows your name, but calls you by your sin. God, Jesus, he knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. Mm-hmm.